If you brought a Bible tonight, then let's use them and open them to the book of Acts. As we've been reading through the book of Acts, I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that you've been enlightened. I hope that you've been transformed in some ways. As you know, we left off a couple of, a few weeks ago, we found ourselves at the council at Jerusalem. And the council of Jerusalem was all about the fact that Gentiles were getting saved. And if Gentiles were getting saved, did the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians? See, that's, that was the question at the council. And we know that, that the conclusion was, no, they didn't, that Jesus was the way, and that through him there was a new and living way to the Father. However, there was a, there was a bit of a, an uproar at the time, because you can imagine what it might have been like. You were a, a good Jewish person who heard that Jesus was the Messiah, and you came to believe through him. And uh, knowing that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets, that he was the promised Messiah, to you, this is simply a continuation of what you've believed all your life. Finally, Jesus has come. Everything I've believed from the time I was a child till now hasn't really been hasn't been radically turned over. It's just been fulfilled through Jesus. But when they start preaching to Gentiles, I mean Greeks and Syrians and, and people that don't, uh, necessarily have any Jewish background. They're telling him Jesus is the way. They're telling him Jesus is the Messiah. And some of those people might have said, and rightly so, what's a Messiah and why should I care? And as they preached the cross and the resurrection, people were being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Stories like Peter walking into Cornelius' house. Cornelius, a good Italian. I don't know what makes a good Italian. I'm assuming he's a good Italian. I don't know if there's a bad Italian. I don't know how to become a bad Italian. But Cornelius, an Italian soldier, has a vision, has an angel appear to him and say that there's a man coming to your house to preach the gospel. Little side note there, if God had intended angels to preach the gospel, he would have done it right then. But God prepared his people to be the proclaimers of good news. So the angel merely tells him, there's a man coming to your house. In fact, send your guys to go get him. Here's where he's staying. Here's the name of the man who owns the house where he's staying. At the same time, Peter sees a vision from God. And in that vision are all these animals and all these foods he's not allowed to eat. Not only does God tell him to eat these animals, these are animals he wasn't even supposed to be touching. God says, kill them and then eat them. He wasn't even supposed to touch these animals, let alone kill them, let alone eat them. And Peter says to God, I'm a good Jew. I would never touch anything that's unclean. And God says to Peter, don't you dare ever again call something unclean when I've cleansed it. And the reason he brings that out, yes, God was showing him that some of the old ritual, Old Testament law was being done away with. But bigger than that, the real point of the story was that God was preparing a people that he thought were, that he had previously known as unclean. In fact, Peter wasn't even allowed to go to Cornelius' house, wasn't allowed to eat with him, wasn't even allowed to set foot in his door. God says, don't ever call him unclean when I've cleaned him. So this is the beginning of um, a great move. And of course, you know, Paul and Barnabas went and preached to the Gentiles as well. And so when they come back, there are people that have a problem with these Gentiles just getting saved and not becoming Jews as well. So, you know, they're, they're coming and they're saying you have to be circumcised, okay? You have to eat certain foods. You can't, you have to do away with that. You have to do with, away with that. And so there's a council and the church has a council together and all the leaders come together. 
And Peter stands up and he tells his story of what God showed him and how the Gentiles in Cornelius' house received the Holy Spirit without even being fully preached the message. Before Peter was done preaching, they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas tell their story. They all bring out from the scripture how this is God's plan all along. And the council decides, we will let these churches, we will let these Christians be. We will let them continue on. We're just going to ask them to make some concessions. There's certain things that we want them to stay away from. There's certain things we want them to remember so that there might be fellowship between the two groups. As you know, in the book of Colossians, it talks about the two groups coming together and about how Jesus put the thing that made them enemies. He put that on the cross so that there might be peace between God and man and peace between the two groups, that those two groups might become one. Scripture talks about us Gentiles. Any, any Jewish folk in the room tonight? So I'm going to say us Gentiles. Now, we're all the descendants of Abraham by faith, right? But, you know, the Scripture talks about us Gentiles being the wild branch that was grafted into the olive branch. The olive branch being, the olive tree being the Jews. And he says, we're the wild branch that was grafted in and made part of that tree. Nevertheless, you got to understand, I mean, if you were raised your whole life, to have certain rituals and laws and certain foods you didn't eat. And even the foods you did eat had to be prepared a certain way. I mean, the meats and the cheese. Sorry, Subway. They're not supposed to touch. I can't do this. I can't do that. And all of a sudden, you got some sloppy, big old Gentiles that are eating everything and anything. And they've got their practices. And all of a sudden, you're going to church together. What do you do? How do you get along? How do you have those people over to eat? And so there's some things they're going through. And as, as you know, uh, we've reached the point in the story where Paul has taken Silas and uh, he's gone on his missionary journey. We understand that Timothy's with him as well, as well as Luke, because Luke's the guy that's recording the story. And we find ourselves, uh, if you'll turn there into Acts chapter 14. I'm oh, sorry, we've already been to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 16, please forgive me. Now we're going to give you an opportunity to feel sorry for a man named Timothy. We all know, well, I shouldn't say we all know, but many of us know who Timothy is. You've read First and Second Timothy. Timothy, at this point of the story, is nobody really special in particular. He's already a good disciple. He's already something, somebody that's helping to minister. But later on, He'll become a major figure in uh, Paul's life and in the ministry of Paul the Apostle because Timothy was the one, probably his right-hand man. He referred to him as his son. This was the guy he was mentoring and training up. And at this point in the story, we're about to go to where Timothy comes from. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we can, we can infer from that that his father was not a believer. And of course, if you've read Paul's letters to Timothy, you remember that he said some of the things your mom and your grandmother taught you, they prepared you, they led you to a place of salvation. They gave you wisdom that would later lead you to salvation. So his mom and his grandmother were devout Jews. His father was a Greek. And as far as we know, not even a, not even a Greek that had come along and believed in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just, just a regular Gentile. And so it says Timothy's here. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So he's born again. 
Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now that seems like a throwaway line. But come on, men, that is not a throwaway line. That's a vital line. It's a grown man has to be circumcised. Now that wouldn't be such a big deal. You remember Abraham was an old man when he circumcised himself. Don't want to go into much detail with this tonight. We're just going to let your imaginations do the, do the heavy lifting. And you're just going to have to follow along. So Abraham's an old man when he circumcised himself, but he did it because it symbolized his covenant with God. Timothy is going to go with a man who just finished telling everybody at the Council of Jerusalem that it does no good to be circumcised. It, it, I mean, in the new covenant, you don't have to be circumcised. I bet Timothy's thinking everything's fine. Then Paul says, that's true, but if you come with me, you have to be circumcised. Why? You just said it won't, it, you said God doesn't look at me any differently if I'm circumcised or uncircumcised. You said there was circumcision of the heart. And Paul's going to tell him, yep, to God it doesn't make a difference. But to these guys it does. And if you're going to come preach with me, you have to be accepted by these guys. Can you imagine how you'd feel at that moment? A bit ripped off, a little scared, a little upset. You'd feel like, Paul, come on, you made, you preach sermons and sermons about how God accepted me just like I am, and he's looking at my heart, and I'm circumcised in the heart. Isn't that enough? We don't see Timothy putting up a fight here. We just say he goes along with Paul, and Paul circumcised him. I don't know the last mission trip you went on, but, you know, this is something, this is a, a level of freedom we don't often give our leaders, and quite frankly, I'm not asking for it. But this is what Paul did to Timothy, so that the gospel could be preached because these guys knew his dad was a, Jew, a, a Greek. Sorry, See, it wouldn't have mattered if they had gone far away because, like it or not, and this is probably a good thing, nobody was doing circumcision checks, but they knew his dad was Greek. So what they're going to ask him when he comes to preach, are you circumcised? He's going to have to answer honestly because God's there. And he's going to have to say yes or no. What the Apostle Paul understands is it may not be a big deal to God, but it's a big deal to these guys. And if you say no, we've immediately lost them. And here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the uncomfortable truth of there are certain things in your life that are not offensive to God, but they might be a stumbling block to someone else. How much is that person's life worth to you? How much is the gospel worth to you? Now, you don't need to be a doormat that, that conforms to everybody around you. There are, there are times where you need to stand up and say, this is the way I am. This is the way, this is the way it is. But there are other times where we say, how much is a soul worth? And so we're going to look throughout the scripture. I want to focus on this tonight. I know there's some other things in this chapter that we'll get to later. But it says, that while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. These are the same decrees that are telling people they don't have to be circumcised. Timothy gets to deliver these letters, and he has to be circumcised to deliver a letter telling people they don't have to be circumcised. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to you. 
But that's what he did. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in number daily. Throughout my life, and I, I think for some of you who've been born again for a while, throughout yours, you've probably come to the point where you've realized the, the importance of the scripture that says everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Well, we've realized that our lives are not our own. In fact, our bodies aren't even our own. I think that's important to realize. We don't think about that a lot, but the Bible doesn't just say he bought your spirit. He said he bought your whole body. It says, your body, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It says, in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. See, he's not just asking for a part of you. He's asking for all of you. And, and this is something that, that uh, we've got to get to the point where we realize that life isn't about us. And we will be most satisfied when we're satisfied in him. And we're seeking his satisfaction. When we're really making our life about the kingdom of God, that's what you were created for. Things start to click when you think that way. Things start to make sense. Not everything makes sense right away, but your life will begin to find its meaning when you realize that your meaning is wrapped up in him. So for the apostle Paul on this trip, he's not going to every church saying, you might meet a Jew someday, so you all better just be circumcised. In fact, he's telling them the opposite. If you've read the book of Galatians, he gets angry with them. He's angry because there were some Jewish Christians that came along telling them they had to observe the old ways. And he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So if he's angry with the Galatians for telling people they had to be more Jewish, why does he do this to Timothy? The reason is, is because the Galatians were doing it to try to fix their relationship with God. And their relationship with God was not broken. It wasn't based on the flesh. It was based on Jesus Christ. With Timothy, the case wasn't whether God accepted him or not. The case was, are we going to preach the gospel? Yeah. Are we going to let anything get in the way of us preaching the gospel? No. You'll find many of you have been amongst different cultures. You've been amongst different, amongst different groups of people. And there are just certain things you've got to lay aside of your own quirks and personality and all of that. The things that make you feel like you. And you lay them down for a bit because you realize that there's nothing better than the name of Jesus and seeing that name proclaimed. And there's just some things that just aren't worth it. Being a pastor, you understand that. There are certain things that you think, boy, this would be clever. Boy, this would be good. I, I could do this. And you realize you could do that and there'd be nothing sinful about it, nothing wrong with it. It might even be good. But would it alienate someone? Would it, keep, would it stop somebody from hearing the gospel from a pure heart? And if it does, it's not worth it. Look what, it's, look what it says. We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We know that your righteousness, your right standing with God, your relationship with God is based wholly on his righteousness and what he has freely given to you. You are not in a position. You could not afford what God has given you. You can never do it if you work the rest of your life. So we're not trying to earn anything from God. We're not trying to become something that we're not. I want us to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 something that's always been really valuable for me. And it's how the Apostle Paul describes. See, this is one of the first guys to be called to both of these groups. 
when he tells his story, King Agrippa has him before him. He tells his story several times throughout the book of Acts. But there's one time near the end where he tells his story. And he says that God said to him, I'm sending you to the Jews. Well, actually, he says, I'm rescuing you from the hand of the Jews and the hand of the Gentiles to which I'm sending you. He talks about how he's sending him to the Jews. He's sending him to the Gentiles. He's going to be an apostle that goes to both groups. And he's going to go to both groups and he's going to be rescued from both groups. And that must have been challenging. See, every place that Paul went in these first missionary journeys, you'll notice that he hits the synagogue first. In fact, later he explains it. He says, I've been sent first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So he hits the synagogue first because if you're going to go in a city that's not a Jewish city, if you want to get to know the Jews in the area, you go to the synagogue. So he'd go there and he'd proclaim the gospel. Sometimes they'd receive him. Sometimes they'd kick him out. Often they'd even try to kill him. He'd preach in the synagogue, and then when, he was, when, he, when they were done with him there, he'd go and he'd preach to the Gentiles. And we see this pattern, not in every city, but in many. So he has such a heart for his own people, and yet God sent him to a brand new group of people. So he has to be kind of flexible in different areas. So one thing we learned, you know, traveling with my dad up in these northern reserves or going to Asia or wherever, you learned that who you are is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. See, we come from a culture where the most important thing is your personal identity, who I am. I got to be me. And I respect that. You are uniquely made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you different than everyone else. And yet, you carry his name above every other name. And we got to lay ourselves down and pick up who he is. And trust me, it's way better that way. You know, Peter talks about, he says, we're good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In Greek, it's that piccolos, that, that variety. The grace of God in each believer shows up in a different way. The gifts that he's given you do not look exactly like the gifts of the person sitting next to you. You are uniquely chosen. You've got unique gifts. The grace of God is big enough to fill every circumstance and every shape and every color. And yet, the book of Philippians says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Jesus, who did not regard it robbery or a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God. That wasn't something he had to take. But it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant, becoming a man like you and me. He became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God also highly exalted him. And gave him a name, which is above every name. That, that name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see that the attitude you're supposed to have is the same attitude that was in Jesus? Though I have the right to be me, I empty myself that I might take on his image and his name. Jesus, if anybody earned the right to just do what he wanted to do, it's Jesus. Yeah, he's the one that goes around and says, I do nothing unless the Father tells me to do it. I, I don't do anything unless I see him do it. I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. He says a servant is above his master. So if Jesus goes around saying, hey, I'm going to just do with the Father. I'm, I'm going to satisfy myself. And guess what, guys? The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. There was nobody on the planet happier than Jesus. 
Now, I think there's plenty of people in the planet that had it easier than Jesus. I mean, for every fan Jesus had, he had 12 people that hated him. I mean, at the end of his life, he's praying, and he looks up to God the Father, and he says, I thank you. You gave me 12 guys, and I kept 12 guys, except that one. So that the prophecy might be fulfilled, there's one of them, one of the 12 that betrayed me. The end of his life, he's happy about 11 guys that stuck with him. And it would have been easy for Jesus to be less offensive and have more friends. Would have been easy. I mean, he did he have to be so gross? He had all the crowds around him and he says, you want to be part of me? You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he doesn't go on and explain that further. He just lets it hang. And everybody just kind of walks away going, oh, that's it. All right. <laughs> love the miracles. Don't love this. Too much. People walk out of this building for a lot less than that, guys. Mr. Vampire up here just said, you have to eat his flesh, drink his blood. He doesn't explain. Let me explain. We're going to have a, a meal later. I'm going to break some bread, you know, some grape juice. You know, you know, a, no, he doesn't explain it. He just says... He doesn't explain, I'm speaking metaphorically. He just leaves it there. So Jesus, if anybody had the right to just be himself, it was Jesus. And yet he did nothing unless the Father told him to do it. Here, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's explaining at the beginning of this why he didn't charge them anything. He explains that he had the right to ask for money. But he didn't, because he knew if at first, now you listen, when he talks to the Philippians, when he talks to other groups, he says, it's good that you gave and you supported me. But he explains that when he first came to the Corinthians, if he were to ask them to support him financially, it would have broken their trust. He would have just seemed like a hireling to them. So he says, I had a right, because he goes, even Jesus said, a workman's worthy of his hire. Even Jesus said we're supposed to make our living from the gospel if we're full-time ministers. He says Jesus said it. But he says to you guys, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to ask for anything. I was going to work with my own hands so that you could see I didn't want anything from you. He said I had the right, but I didn't take the right. He goes on and he says this. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a slave to all. Does it say that God made him a slave? No, he had to make himself. He had the choice. I've made myself a slave to everybody so that I might win more. Well, that's a guy whose heart is beating for the gospel. I want to win more people. So I'm going to serve more people. He says, I'm free. I don't have to. I don't have to do any of this. But I choose it because I might win more. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. This is why young Timothy had to be circumcised. Why? Because it mattered more. And I'm assuming if it mattered to Paul, it mattered to Timothy too. Timothy let it happen. It mattered more to Timothy that some Jews, some stubborn ones that might be a little bit slow in the head, might be a little bit stubborn, might, might be wrong. It mattered to him that some of them would get saved than him be comfortable for a little bit longer. He'd rather go through that terrible experience than, than, than turn somebody away from the gospel. That's somebody who loves people. He says this, To the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Now we understand, as he writes his letters, this guy 
never again went back to being a slave to the law. Never again went back to trying to be righteous through the law. Never again tried to get his salvation through the law. It doesn't mean he believed and came under the law again. It means, he says, when I'm with somebody who's under the law, I become as someone under the law. So if they're eating kosher, I will eat kosher. If they're going to synagogue on Sabbath, I'm going with them. Why? I want to win them. And it mattered. He says, so that I might win those under the law. In verse 21, he says, to those who are without law, in other words, the Gentiles, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so I might win those who are without the law. So what he's saying is, those that aren't Jewish and they've got different customs, I will eat their food. I'll eat with them. I'll celebrate with them. But I'm still under the law of Christ. So he's not going to go and, and, and he's not going to go and sin. He's not going to go and, 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 and say, well, I'm free from everything, so I'm just going to do anything. He says, I'm still under the law of love. I'm still under Christ. I'm still submitted to him. But when I'm with these people, I will eat their food. You know, when you, any of you have been on the mission field, gone over to other cultures, it doesn't matter what diet you're on, doesn't matter what food you like, you eat what's set before you and you say, thank you. And to many cultures, to us, we become a little wimpy. Oh, I'm sensitive to this and that, and I don't really like that. And there's some who really do have a, you know, an issue. But some, it's just a fad, you know, and it's something they saw on Oprah, and they think it's a good idea. And, and that's cool. So we've got, you go into a restaurant, and they can substitute a thousand things for a thousand things, and it's no big deal to us. Oh, you don't eat that? Well, we got this. But in some cultures, you turn away their food, you are turning them away. You're saying, I don't accept you. Now, is it worth it? That couple pounds you're shaving off, your skin have a nice little shine to it. Is it worth it that somebody was turned off from the gospel because you didn't eat their food? And believe me, there's plenty of times I looked at my plate. I said, it better be worth it. (laughs) It better be worth it. I remember one time, I think I've told you, but forgive me if you've heard this before. I remember one time I was on this reserve and they were, they were using nets. They, the only way you could get into this reserve was by a plane. But you could drive on the ice during the, the winter. It was called the Winter Road. Winter Road's a loose term. I mean, they had lost a couple snow plows to the lake before. And uh, the big challenge was how do we get it to the top? So you'd, you'd lower this net under the, under the Winter Road, and they'd pull it up. And it was just such, some of the most amazing fish. And so we sat down at the table, and there's a just a plethora of fish. It's just a, it's a feast. It's wonderful. But then, I mean, they're going to eat everything and they're not wasting anything. I just think there's a couple things that I don't mind wasting, right? So there was a, do you, is it, do anybody know what a Mariah is? Uh, you know the Mariah. It's the catfish's dumb cousin, right? You know? <laughs> See, we got southern parents. So I grew up eating catfish. Most of the time, it was farm-raised. It ate corn on the bottom of a cement pool, but it was catfish. But a mariah is even worse than a catfish. It looks like a catfish is worse. It's just a bottom feeder, scum-sucking thing, bony, gross. Anyways, I don't mind. I could eat mariah meat, but they put the mariah liver right on the plate. And the mariah liver is like, the way they cooked it, it was black. So maybe they burned it. Maybe that's just the way it cooks. It's crispy black, but when you cut into it, this green gel oozed out. Now, at the same time, this beautiful jack, 
pickerel. There's all sorts of delicious food. There's all sorts of other fish. But yet this happens to be in front of me right now. And these are the decisions you make. I remember being in the Philippines and eating food. And, and most of the time it was very good. But a couple of things, you know, there's some things you haven't eaten before and it shocks your palate. And I figured out as a teenager, I was a fast eater. And that's a serious problem when you're overseas. Because to them, your plate's empty, fill it up again. I couldn't. I, the, it was too hot. It's 40 degrees and humid. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm not burning anything off here. And all I'm doing, you know, this is, I remember one time during, it was a minister's conference. There's other times we'd have to hike somewhere and you'd work up an appetite and you could eat anything. But there's one time my dad was preaching at a, a leader's conference and all I'm doing is sitting and then getting up and flipping over the tape in the recorder. That's my job. That's what I'm doing. You see, they had a breakfast, and it was a huge breakfast. And silly me, I'm eating fast. And so they just keep filling the plate. I didn't ask for more, but they just keep filling the plate. And so then we get done, the morning session, and they say, all right, it's time for lunch. And lunch is huge. Then it's time for the afternoon snack. We don't need an afternoon snack. I've not been doing it. I'm just sitting here. These people were so generous and so hospitable that they just kept filling my plate even when I had no possible room. But you eat it. Wherever you are, you eat it. Because you honor the people. And a lot of times they were giving something up to give something to you. So you honor them by, you honor somebody by going into their home. You honor them by eating their food. Because it's worth it to win them. And it says this, because really it's a symbol of Jesus accepting them when you accept them. He says, I've become all things. I skipped, I skipped ahead. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that I might be all means, save some. And that phrase sticks with me, and it's stuck with me for the rest of my, for all of my life. That where he says, by all means. That means by every avenue, by every way, anything I need to do, I will do it, that I might save some that the gospel would be preached and people would receive it. It's worth it. It's worth me giving up my preferences. It's worth me giving up some of the things I think make me special. You know, you're in some parts of the world where they dress extremely modestly, and you think, oh, I got this cool summer clothes. I mean, this wasn't a problem for us guys, but we had girls traveling with us in different places. And they were wearing something that would be very modest in Canada, but showing a little shoulder or something. It was not modest where we were. So what do you do? I don't care how cute it looks. I don't care how fashionable it is. I don't care how hot you are. You cover up because you're going to preach the gospel to somebody and you don't want them to be offended by you. Now, if they get offended by Jesus, that's fine. You know what I mean? The Bible says that Jesus is a stumbling block. And some people will be offended at him and some people will say that he's the chief cornerstone. I, I can't believe I've missed this all my life. The problem is I don't want somebody to trip over me before they get to Jesus. I want to put Jesus right in the middle. Now, you might go into a church that knows people get offended at Jesus, so they move Jesus out of the way a little bit. I don't want people tripping on Jesus too early. Wait till at least you're here for a couple of Sundays. Have a nice meal. We'll put Jesus over here. Some of the more revolutionary sides of Jesus. No, no, but that's not the case. We want to put Jesus front and center. He is who he is. If you don't like Jesus... I pray you'll come to like him. But if he offends you, he might offend you. You might need to get offended. That's okay. But I'm not going to stand in front of Jesus 
And just because I want to be me, I let you trip over me and you don't even get to Jesus. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So here, he says, I, by any means, by all means, I might save some. That means I'm using every method I've got to bring some people to Jesus. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things. You hear that? I don't know. I read that and it challenges me. I do all things. All things. Everything I do is for the gospel's sake. So that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you might win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it. To receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. The Greek word there means to hit it over and over again. I train my body. I discipline it and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You realize he's saying the most important thing is that the gospel is proclaimed and I will put myself through whatever I need to put myself. I will train myself to, be, to go through hardness if I need to go through hardness, but I want everybody to hear this good news. And I don't want to be the reason they don't hear it because I flaked out, I wimped out. I was too fragile. So this is somebody that really loves people. and really loves the gospel. Do you know he's not doing any of this to earn favor with God? Because all the favor with God he has, he has because of Jesus. He's not doing this to become a Christian. He already is. He's not doing this to become a saint. He already is. But he loves people. And he loves Jesus. And for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of people, he's going to give up some things so he might win some people. He's going to become some things that might be outside of his culture, outside of his box, so he might win some people. That challenges me because I love people too. But there are times that there are certain parts of me I don't want to give up because that's who makes me me. But I realize it's more valuable to me that someone come to Jesus than me getting to do things my way. For Timothy, that's a painful conclusion to come to. And quite frankly, I've never had to do something that extreme. I'm not doing a show of hands tonight who would do that. Because that would just be, first of all, we'd only be talking to one gender. And second of all, it's just inappropriate for church. But I think about it. How far would I go? Even when you knew it wouldn't make a difference to God. How far would I go? There's just certain things. There's, guys, there's even ways you fix your hair when you, meet this, when you go minister to somebody. There's things you eat. There's things you do. You just, just, what's more important? You being you or you reaching these people with the gospel? Now look at this, and I, I want to go to the book of Romans here as we uh, finish this up. Now, you know the book of Romans, more than most books, is telling you about where your righteousness really comes from. It comes from Jesus. About you knowing that uh, it's not based on um, what you've done. It's not based on things of the flesh. It's based on what Jesus has done for you and your belief in him. And yet, 
we're about to read something. He's, he's, he's going to address some issues that have come up in the church in Romans chapter 14. Here's the deal. Let me give you some background. To the group he's talking to, you've got Jews and Gentiles alike, right? <clears throat> now, a lot of the Gentiles worshipped other gods, and um, as they worshipped these other gods, they would honor their gods in their own way. So a lot of the meat that you'd get at the market, there's a good chance it's been sacrificed to idols before it got to the market. Sometimes you'd know it was, and sometimes you would just have no idea. So there were some Jewish folks that say, or not even Jewish, but, but some people that were saying, I, can't, I won't even eat meat, because what if it's been sacrificed to idols? So I'm just going to eat vegetables. The Apostle Paul addresses them and says, listen, you pray over your food, you, you, you give it to the Lord, all things are sanctified by the word and prayer. However, what, look what he says here in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. He says, except the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, <laughs> there's any vegetarians in the group? Come on, I'm sorry. This is not talking about you eating veg vegetables for your health. or you have, This is talking about in the culture, they were... Uh, you know, some people were not eating meat, not because they decided they didn't like meat. They were not eating meat because to them, they thought that they were displeasing God if they did because it might have been sacrificed to idols. He calls them weak in faith because they don't trust God enough to sanctify their food. But he says, even if they're wrong and they're weak, accept them and don't judge them. He says, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, I'll tell you why this is an issue, because automatically, and this happens to me, it has happened to you, automatically when somebody draws a line further than where you've drawn yours, you immediately feel threatened by that. At least most people do. And you want to talk them out of it because you feel like they're looking at you like you're not as righteous as they are. All right, so let's say, let's see, Tammy, she watches only G-rated movies, all right? But Audrey says all movies, I don't watch any movies. Tammy only watches, you know, The Brady Bunch, things like that, classic TV shows. Is that classic? I guess it's old. Audrey says, I don't even own a TV. Now, Tammy has made some judgments, and she's pretty strict in her judgments. I mean, G-rated there's not much out there that's like that anymore. Just old school TV shows with no profanity. She's made some pretty big... Now, this is, this is hypothetical. These, I don't know what these ladies watch. But Audrey's gone even further. Now, Tammy might feel like when Audrey says, I don't own a TV, that she has to say something about that. Because automatically she feels like, well, what are you saying about me? So that because I own a TV, I'm not as holy as you. I'm not as strong of a Christian as you. So what do we tend to do? We try to talk these people out of it. Oh, Audrey, a TV's fine. Audrey, just get a TV. Don't you, don't you think that God's okay with you having a TV? And you know what I'm doing? I'm passing judgment on Audrey so that I don't feel judgment on myself. So I'm freeing myself from the guilt 
of maybe not being as strict as Audrey, by trying to talk Audrey out of it. And I dealt with this when I was a teenager, and I said to the Lord, I said, God, here's my deal with you. I will never, ever tell somebody to lower their standards, even if I think they're going too far. Because chances are, there might be a day where I come up to where they are. But even if I don't, if they've made that decision as unto the Lord, and they're doing it because they feel that that's what they've promised to God, and if they did the other thing, they'd feel like they were, you know, stepping out of line, then it, what's right for me is still wrong for them. And if I talk them out of doing what they believe is right, I've just caused them to sin, and in turn, I've sinned against them. Because I've told them, don't listen to your heart, don't listen to your spirit, don't listen to your conscience. And it's not worth it. So he says, accept each other. And if you just decide, I'm not going to eat that, or I'm, I'm not going to watch it, I'm not going to do that, then don't judge, don't pass judgment on the one that does. Now, I'm not talking about don't pass judgment. If somebody's watching, you know, uh, an 18A movie in their house and their kids are watching it with them, there might be some room for some nice little, you know, you shouldn't be watching that. We're not talking about black and white. We're talking about gray areas. And in the gray areas, sometimes you got to say, I see your standard. I honor your standard. I'm not judging you. You're not judging me. Let's all go to God and see what we should do. And here's what happens if we continue to read. He says in Romans 14, 4, he says, for who are you to judge the servant of another? What does that mean? It means your friends, your brothers and sisters aren't serving you. They're not even serving themselves. They're serving God. They belong to him. You don't have a right to judge them about that. He says, to his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord's able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. So one guy says there's a holy day. There's one day. One, one guy is real. It's a real big deal to him to keep the Sabbath. Another guy says every day is the Lord's day. What happens? See, we would say one's right and one's wrong. But here the scripture says, every person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You don't talk that guy out of it. He shouldn't talk you out of it. You got to be right with God. Now, if there's a discussion between believers and they're, they're trying to help each other, that's one thing. But he's talking about people forcing their conscience on someone else and forcing them to lower their standards or, or, or come to a different standard. Look what he says. He says, he who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, in other words, a guy that stays away from certain foods, he says, for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself. Wow. And not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And the ultimate point there is, we're all going to have to answer to God. So if we're all going to answer to God, it's not my responsibility to make you like me. It's all of our responsibility to help each other become more like Jesus. And I've ultimately got to answer to him. And you've got to answer to him. 
So then he says this, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, and this is big, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Whoa. That's huge, guys. Don't destroy somebody because of food, him who Christ died for. Boom, that's big. That means if you were going to somebody's house and they ate kosher, and you said, come on, we're free from that. We don't have to eat that. We don't have to eat that way. Don't you see? It's in the Bible. We can eat it. Now, maybe they're asking you, and you can tell them. But when they've made that decision, and you go to their house and you say, well, fine, I brought my bacon-wrapped uh, scallops anyways. I'm going to eat that. I tell you what, bacon-wrapped shrimp, it's so unkosher, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shock you, but I'm free, and you just need to deal with my freedom. <laughs> he says, is it worth it? Was it worth destroying somebody that Jesus died for for your food? Hope you love bacon. Does that mean you can't eat bacon? I'll eat bacon. But when you're with that brother, don't eat bacon. It's just as simple as that. I mean, it's just simple. It's not hard. It's a little hard in your flesh every now and then because there are just certain things that are a stumbling block to somebody else. If you let your kids go to Disneyland and somebody says Disneyland is of the devil and we don't let our kids talk about anything Disney, then when your kids are over there, just say, don't talk about Disney. If you say, well, I believe it's okay to talk about Disney, fine, believe that in your house. But what you're telling these kids is they shouldn't listen to their parents. And what you're telling them is their parents are wrong, and the standard they've made is wrong, and you're the one that's making the standard for all of you. And you know what you do? You hurt the one that Jesus died for. You might destroy something just so you could have something that you think is special. So here's, his, here's what he's saying. Nothing is more important than people. Nothing is more important than the gospel. He says, rather determine this. He goes, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Nobody can talk me out of it. He says, I'm convinced in Christ. Once you say you're convinced in Christ, the argument's over. I'm convinced in Christ that you can eat anything, and it's all right. You know, I worked in a Christian bookstore for a long time, guys, and we'd have books come along, and people say, oh, I'm going to eat like Adam and Eve. And I go, fine. I think it's impossible to eat like Adam and Eve. I don't think those plants are around anymore, but okay. So if they are around, they probably aren't near as nutritious as they were. Sure, eat like Adam and Eve. Well, I have this person. I'm going to eat like Daniel all the time. All the time. I'm thinking, you know, Daniel only did that for like a you know, little while, right? No, I'm doing it all the time. Okay, do it all the time. I'm going to eat like Ezekiel. Good gracious. You know Ezekiel ate bread cooked over dung, right? <laughs> really? Going to eat just like Ezekiel. How literal are you going with this? But if that's what they want to do, okay, fine. If I come into your house, I'll eat your food, and I'll like it. I'll eat your Ezekiel food as long as you don't tell me what it was cooked over. I like that Ezekiel bread. That's actually good stuff. I, I think it's cooked over wood because I'm not asking any more questions. I just don't ask questions. I just trust. 
and everything is sanctified by the word and prayer. But you had all sorts of people coming through, and some were convinced that their relationship with Jesus relied on some of this stuff. And you know what? You might say, if you think that you're going to be out, your relationship with God's going to be damaged if you eat that food, you're what the Bible calls weak in the faith. But I'm going to accept that person anyways. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to say, you, you just follow what the Lord's telling you to do. And he says here, the important thing is that we're walking according to love. Timothy was circumcised in love, not for God it, directly. I mean, he wasn't circumcised because God wanted him circumcised because it was holier. Because he had experienced the circumcision of the heart. But he did do it for God because God loves people. And those Jews... Although they'd have to come to a point later on where they'd accept an uncircumcised Gentile, at this point, they weren't saved. So at this point, or maybe they're just new believers, and at this point, it's worth it. Get the operation. I don't know, before anesthetic, whatever. Get the operation. And just do it because you love people. It's not worth destroying somebody for our own preferences, for our own way of doing things. And that, that comes down to all sorts of things. But I want you to know, do not ever let this become something that puts you back under the law, that puts you back into legalism. You've been made free. But you still have the right to make yourself a slave to somebody, to serve them, to think about them before yourself so that by any means you may win some. And I guarantee you guys, if you've not already encountered it, you will encounter it soon. You're going to have opportunities to say, Do, am I willing to be a stumbling block to this person? I, in my own conscience, feel like doing this is okay, or wearing this is okay, or eating this is okay. But I want to win them. So for their sake and the sake of the gospel, I will become all things to all men, so that by all means, I might win some. That's love. And that's the love that Jesus had for you, and that's the love that we have for one another. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I wonder, because I, when I first read that, I thought, I don't even do 10% of the things I do for the sake of the gospel. It makes me think, what, what percentage of my life is for the sake of the gospel? The Apostle Paul says, Everything, every decision I make, I'm making because of the gospel. That's a guy who sold out. That's the guy who says, my life's not my own anymore, and that's what I want to be like. I want to say, hey, how does this affect the gospel? Now, don't go to McDonald's and say, what should I order in reference to the gospel? Just order whatever you want to order. But there are other things. You got to make some decisions. But do it out of love. Love for the people around you. And accept each other as Christ has accepted you. And I believe that God's going to do great things. The harvest is ready. The fields are ready. There are people out there that are just ripe to hear what Jesus, who Jesus is. They're ripe to hear the gospel. There are Christians out there who are ripe for somebody to come along and encourage them. And, you know, if you gotta, if you got to lay aside a couple of things so that you might win those people, do it. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that we lay aside every weight and sin which so easily encumbers us so that we might run faster. Do you notice he says, I lay aside every weight and sin. There's some things that aren't sinful, guys. They're not sinful. And yet, 
If I want to run faster, I'm going to lay them aside. And if I lay those things down, I can't tell Logan he has to lay those things down because those things may not be a weight to them. They might not be a sin to him, but it is to me, and I live for God, so I'm going to lay it down if I need to lay it down. He's going to lay it down if he needs to lay it down. And we're going to win as many people to the Lord as we can. And we're going to run the race to win, not just to compete and not just to be qualified at the end. You know, you can eat a sub, you can eat a hoagie, you can eat Twinkies in a race and not be disqualified. I don't know. It depends on the race. (laughs) But it doesn't mean you do. Do you have the right? Probably. Do you have the right to stop in the middle of the race and daydream? Yeah, there's no rule against it. But do you want to win? Yeah, I want to win. So sometimes for the sake of winning the race, you lay down some things. You eat something different so you can get into shape. You, you, you change your schedule so you can, you know, get your workouts in. You do things different because you want to win. We do things different because we want to win people to Jesus. Because the time is short and Jesus is coming back. And they're valuable enough to us that we lay our lives down for it. Can we stand up together? We're going to pray. Like I said, the last thing I'd want is for you to come back under the bondage of legalism and you to go back and and just get to the point where you're thinking that your relationship with God depends on what you eat or what you wear. It doesn't. Doesn't depend on that at all. But what I do want you to keep in mind is that God's going to send people in your life that might be different than you. He might send you to a different group of people. He might send you to a different country. You know, if he sends you over if he sent you over to Saudi Arabia to preach the gospel, ladies, I, and you've got the most beautiful hair in the world, and you have to cover it, cover it. Do whatever you need to do to win somebody to Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. Guys, if you've got to eat the inner organs of the most vile creature, close your eyes and say, thank you, Jesus, and eat it so that you might win some. It's worth it. You got to think of the things that are worth it. And if you got to lay some things down that you think, boy, this would be fun, this would be neat, this would be cool, but it's going to alienate some of my brothers and sisters, it's going to cause them to stumble, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You got to love them more than you love that other stuff. So, Lord, we thank you. Father, help us to understand this. I know this is difficult sometimes. I know it's tough to comprehend and tough to figure out where the line is. But let us, let us draw the line at love. Let love be our motivating factor. Let that be the thing that drives us. Let that be the thing that compels us. Let that be the thing that motivates us. That we love the people that you love. The people that you died for, we lay our lives down for. That the gospel may be preached in every corner of the world, including this city. Lord, help us to put your mission above our mission. In fact, let our mission become the same as yours. Let us, help, let us put people before ourselves that we would find true delight, that true gladness and joy that you had, the joy of knowing that we're doing the will of the Father, the joy of knowing your presence, the joy of knowing your pleasure. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. The Bible says to outdo one another in hospitality. Jesus said, you want to be great? Serve everybody. So look for opportunities to serve one another and serve people in love and show them who Jesus is. Show them that Jesus is alive. Show them that Jesus loves them. And uh, 
Every day is an opportunity for that. So God bless you. We love you very much. Have a great week.